0: So we're going we're gonna to share a couple of thoughts and then we're going to open it up to a time of, of discussion. So if you're participating with us online, I would encourage you to participate as well. We have people um, hosting in uh, Church Online and uh, Angelo is also monitoring the Facebook feed. So if you have any comments or questions you want to throw out there, please feel free to go ahead and do that. So as a reminder, we do message reflections. Over the summer, our schedule has been two weeks of sermons and then a week of message reflection. And these weeks are hugely, hugely important because it's a chance for us, not just as individuals, but as a community to think a little bit more deeply, to spend a little bit more time on each one of these um, topics because there's so much packed into into each one of them. And so we're going to be looking at the information that Leanne covered in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27, 2 to 4. And then the information I covered last week in 2 verses 5 through 11. And the way we have it um, structured is I'm going to talk a little bit about Jesus and his humility and obedience. I kind of a further thought. I'm reflecting on my own message. I can do that. Um, And then uh, Kevin is going to talk a little bit about Moses because that was what jumped out to him. When we were talking about humility and obedience and Stacy's gonna share some thoughts about how all those things kind of come together in our unity which is what Leanne challenged us to um to kind of to kind of wrap that up and hopefully there'll be some conversation going on up here uh between the three of us as well sound good all right so um at the at the center of the poem that I covered last week is this idea that Jesus was obedient to the point of death and afterwards I was I was thinking about that, and why was that, why was that necessary, right? Why was it necessary for Jesus to be obedient to the point of death? And I I spent some time meditating and, and thinking about it, and that was one of the, for those of you who are in prayer pods, that was one of the um, prompts this week, was to just meditate on the humility and the obedience of Jesus, and that's what kind of brought me down this road. The one, so God created humanity to rule with Him and like Him over the earth, And that rule was supposed to look like that self-giving love, right? That N.T. Wright quote that I put up last week, that when we look at the cross, that's what we should see. We should see the God of self-giving love. That was our job as humanity. And God picked Adam and Eve, right? And they kind of dropped the ball. And then Noah, and then Abraham, and then Moses, and the nation of Israel, and continually humanity could not live into the role which God designed for them. So Jesus enters in and he perfectly models that self-giving love, right? So that's the, that's the first reason. We needed the, the plan of salvation required Jesus to fulfill that design for humanity to, um, to defeat sin and death like we celebrated just now in, in the Eucharist and to, to open the door to relationship with him. The other piece is Jesus had to be obedient to the point of death because scripture tells us that he is able to empathize. Is, is Hebrews 4.15 going up behind me? Um, he is able to empathize with us to the whatever, whatever we experience, whatever we go through, Jesus needed to experience He, as part of the plan of salvation, he needed to be a part of the fallenness of the world. He wasn't fallen, but he lived in that experience. Right. So when it says Jesus was obedient to the point of death, whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever difficulty, whatever broken relationship, any of that and all of that, Jesus experienced, right, as he became obedient to the point of death. Jesus needed to be obedient to the point of death to fulfill the plan of salvation, and he needed to be obedient for us to realize that, yeah, he, he gets it, right? I've re- I wish I could remember the, it was a brilliant uh, analogy, but it's like, as we walk through this fallen life, it's like we're walking into a 60-mile-an-hour a headwind, and at some point, the temptation gets too much, and we just lay down. Scruff's nodding his head. He must have heard, read the same thing. Oh, is that gentle and lowly? Okay. Um, he, and s- s- we just give up and we lay down. Jesus stood in the wind, and he, he never gave up. He never laid down. He made it to the other side to feel what it was like when the wind subsided. Right. He has that level of empathy with us, but he didn't sin in the midst of it. Right, so we have Jesus as this perfect model of humility and obedience. And then we have Moses, who Kevin is going to share some thoughts on.
1: How do you, how do you be Jesus, right? <laughs> humble, but when you were talking about it, that's what first came to mind was Moses. I mean, we looked up the definition yesterday in, in our uh, men's group and just to look at humility and, hum, uh, and being humble. Go. And um, yeah, I think that Moses should be there. You know it should be Moses so uh, it was in numbers and um, this is verse 3 it says now Moses was very humble a very humble man more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth and when I read that going through it, I was like wow that's I mean how do you beat that and so what's going on here in, in this uh, section is um, Aaron and Miriam Moses' brother and sister they're grumbling against Moses and, bef- and Moses is usually the one, he's the first one to, if anybody's doing something wrong or sinning in the whole nation, he just bows down and he goes right to God, humbles himself, and he says, let me fix this. You know, but before he gets a word out, God comes and says, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? He says, you three, come over to the tent of meetings. So God steps in immediately, and I'm like, um, I don't know if this is going to be good or bad because I'm, I'm one of three child." Three children, and I have parents say that to, Hey, you three, get over here. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, That's not going to be good. <laughs> um, so it it, uh, it plays out kind of in a kind of in a nice way, um, but it, it deepens the relationship um, with with God. What God says to Moses, God speaks. Um, Moses' relationship, uh, it's set apart from others. It's so close that God speaks face to face to face with him. Um, He speaks clearly and not in riddles, where throughout, I guess, time that we see after this with other prophets, that's what's what's happened, you know. He speaks differently with everybody, but just amazing to me that the humility and obedience that Moses had was what brought that closeness in his relationship to God to be speaking face to face with him, and he's the only one who, who had that
0: relationship. What I, I find really interesting about that is God chose to include that piece about Moses, but he also chose to include, like, Moses' temper tantrum when he, you know, what basically kept him out of the of the promised land, right? So we have this perfect example of, of humility, but still not perfect, like, didn't live this sinless life. So an, an, it's a more of a, I don't know, I guess kind of a, a relatable... A relatable example, but just a, a greater level of appreciation of everything that God shares with us in the scripture. And that's part of what what Stacy's going to talk about is that how it ties to today?
2: Um, yeah, so one of the things, um, the first thing that really stuck out to me um, when Leanne spoke about unity and what Flip- Philippians um, or Paul had written in that section of Philippians was just the relevance of. His instructions about unity to society today—that um, you know, this was an issue in that time. It's still an issue today, um, and um, that just just stuck with me. Um, the um, you know, especially in today's society, as Leanne mentioned, um, <laughs> we we live in a world where. Did this go out? I don't know. Okay. We live in a world where um, today's, um, uh, people today become, their opinions become more and more polar, um, stronger, um, and there's this insatiable need to prove that you're right. And in doing so, you know, lifting yourself up, tearing other people down, um, it's laced with anger and hostility and even violence, and yet the words that Paul wrote in Philippians ring true today. Um, And um, I started thinking about how, not just here in Crossroads, but how more um, globally um, the same rings true, right? Um, In fact, the words to the Philippian church, it wasn't just um, just to the Philippian church. Paul wrote also to the churches um, in Colossians, First um, Thessalonians. Um, in fact, Paul's message in, sorry, um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, courage the disheart- disheartened, Help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Again, it goes right with what Tom talked about with humility and obedience. Um, Similarly, when writing to the Colossian community, Paul wrote, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Um, so just like it is today, back then it wasn't just an issue in one community. It's It can be an issue within our church, within our town, within our state. Globally, it's, it's the need for community is just as strong, or the need for unity is just as strong today. Um, I think oftentimes unity today gets misconstrued as meaning that you agree on everything Um, or the complete opposite that living in unity means that you don't stand up for what you believe in that you just kind of go with the flow or agree with whoever you're talking to or whichever group you've decided to identify with and Paul knew that it didn't mean either one Um, and um, it it is possible <laughs> to live in a community of believers to disagree on things um, to do so in love and obedience and um, in just a few minutes I know we're going to talk about practically what that means because it's really easy to s- sit up here and talk about it and or you know listen to Tom and Leanne um, say what the Bible says about it but how does that practically play out. Um, and But before we talk about that, I just want to leave you with a quote from Francis Chan um, in his book Letters to the Church. He says, is it just a nice cliche to say the church should be like family? I mean, it's a great thought, but our families are our families. Does God really expect us to be this close with people that we're not related to, some people we wouldn't even want to choose to be friends with. I agree that it's natural to be close with your family and unnatural to experience this with people who are not like you, but that's exactly the point. It's not supposed to be natural, it's supernatural.
0: Great quote, thanks Stace. Um, so I have some kind of prepared questions to to throw out at everybody. But I just wanted to give you guys a chance. Ben's gonna run a mic around. Um, If there are any kind of general thoughts or anything that jumped out at you over the course of the last two weeks or anything the three of us may may have just said. Hand is up. Thank you Norbert for getting us going.
3: from a verse in the Old Testament where it said what does the Lord require of you O man but to do mercy love justice and to walk humbly with your God and that brings up the idea of what does walking humbly with your God mean it's certainly not a self-effacing kind of attitude. But the attitude of humble means that you recognize that you can't do anything. You need God for everything. And that brings us to the point of being able to say, I rely on you, moment by moment, I have to seek his answer the things that affect my life. So for me, humble means not self-reliance, but reliance on everything that God has for me.
0: Thanks, Norbert. Great, great verse. Oh, Kate?
4: Yeah, um, so I've been also kind of thinking about the unity thing last, since um, the sermon last week. It brought up for me this memory of this church I went to a long time ago. Um, that at the end of every service, everyone would get up and hold hands and make a circle around the room, and they'd sing this song about being one, um, and it was really weird, but <laughs> I, ki- it kind of made me think, I was like, I think that's one extreme, and then every other church I've been to hasn't really talked about the unity thing. You know, like, I think, you know, a lot of churches maybe have, I've been part of, like, a mom's group or, like, a young people group, and, like, I think we tend to, segment off, and I was like, well, what's the middle between, like, weird, creepy, extreme and, like, totally just hanging out with the people I'd hang out with anyways? Um, And so, like, I I just appreciate the intention that I think was there. Um, And, like, I don't know what the answer is, but, like, I know, like, right now in my prayer pod, like, I usually go to Stratford, but my prayer pod's led by someone that usually goes to Trumbull, and we also have two people that only go online. So, like, I think, you know, putting, like, even just, like, signing up for something like that is kind of putting yourself out there to let, whether it's random or Leanne being very intentional <laughs> um, to let us kind of, you know, interact with people that we don't, wouldn't normally sort ourselves into. Um, and so I think just like I, you know, as I reflect back on my experiences, like I said, there was that one church that was a little weird about it, but I really haven't heard anyone else talk about unity in that way. And I think you know, like Stacey was saying, like, it, it really doesn't come naturally. So like, what's been on my mind this week is like, what does it look like to intentionally seek unity?
0: Yeah, thank you, Kate. And so that one of the questions that I had written, um, Joe, this is I think the second question: Why are humility and obedience necessary to foster multi-generational community? Right. So, kind of a, what are what are the practical outworkings of humility and obedience, in a setting where you have people from all kinds of backgrounds, people from all different ages, people with all on, occupy all different spots on their discipleship journey. Amanda's hand is up. Scruff's hand is up. Why don't you grab Scruff while you're right there? and then Hi.
5: Uh, sorry if I missed this. I had a long week. Um, <laughs> uh, Stacy, did you define unity before you started talking about like what it is or isn't? Because I know like I struggled deeply with the idea of like well, it's not agreeing about everything, but it's not disagreeing about anything. I know like in my mind that's like that's a hard thing to kind of comprehend. So like, can you give us a definition of unity or someone? Thanks for putting
2: me on the spot there, Scruff.
5: (laughs) Well, you talked about it, not my fault. Well, Leanne doesn't have a microphone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think, and I don't have the the reference with me, but what Paul talked about in the part of Philippians that Leanne went over, um, the verse 1 through 27, 2 through 4, I don't if anybody has that. Yes. Um, You know, talking about being being like-minded in Christ, uh, treating each other as uh, Jesus would treat us. Um, approaching disagreements with love, um, not putting your own self above someone else, um, but having a servant heart. Um, recognizing.
0: You want me to read it?
2: Nope, I- Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Right, that's going on.
0: Yeah. Sorry. That's
2: okay. I just kept going. Um, but um, does that answer your question, Scott? Yes.
0: I, I think also some of the stuff that I've been talking about since the beginning of Philippians and um, a book that I've shared with some of the, the leadership team is this idea of Jesus at the center. Right? And that's what unifies people. Right? Some people are gonna be, maybe have just thought about Jesus for the first time and they want to follow him and they're way out here. If, the, if, you know, if Jesus is in the center and some people have been trying to follow him a long time and they're here and Jesus is in the center. Um, but then there are people who are like actively moving away from him, but it's those people who are tr- trying to draw close to him. And as they move closer to each other, the unity is found in Jesus and in that movement Towards, towards him. Amanda had a, a thought to share.
6: That's Ben. Um, so just with the humility and obedience and as it relates to unity, I would probably just say that if you are unwilling to learn from someone else, you're not going to have unity because wow. that really makes a big difference where even if you don't agree, if you're not even willing to be at a starting point where you could be wrong or you could not be looking at it in the right way, because you may even have the same goal, but a lot of times people argue over the how and over the way that it's done, and if either one of both parties are not willing to at least consider that they may be wrong, then there's no progress.
0: Yeah. Uh, Bella has got her hand up. Oh, David. Sorry. Did you put your hand up too? Okay. You go ahead. (laughs) I I know I know where David sits. I we'll get him.
7: Sorry, David. Um, (laughs) So for me, I'm gonna go off of this like multi-generational community prompt, um, and this is kind of like perfect because I just finished doing like a personal Bible study on Job, um, one of my favorite books, and um, a character that really stands out to me in that story is. Forgive me if I pronounce his name wrong, but Elihu, who is, like, the youngest of all the friends, um, and he waits for everybody else to talk, um, and then he says his piece, and out of all of Job's friends that speaks, his, like, perspective is the closest um, to God, um, and, like, his interpretation is the closest to being right, even though it's not completely right. Um, That kind of ties into where I stand. Um, I feel like, obviously, as being one of the younger... um, Attendees of this church, um, I kind of just like to wait for everybody else to speak too. Um, especially since that's like you know that's how everybody is raised. Like you you let your elders speak. You respect your elders. All that good stuff. Thanks, mom. Um. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> Um, but one <coughs> thing that I really appreciate is that when I am here and when I, like, attend, whether it be, like, a woman's Bible study or, like, the summer suppers or just, like, just being here at church and communicating with everybody, everybody's willing to hear what I have to say despite of my age. And I really appreciate that and just feeling welcomed and not just, like, some child. So thank you.
0: We're glad you're with us, Bella.
5: Um, I'm actually jumping off kind of what Amanda said in in the the, um, humility and obedience. And speaking from personal experience, my struggle, uh, especially early on in my time in this community a decade ago, with arrogance and, you know, I I know that I'm right and people who disagree with me are wrong and, and, you know, still able to work with people but definitely having an attitude toward people like they don't know as much. And I think where the humility comes in is just over the years learning that we all as individuals think that we have the default understanding like we're the objective ones we're mm-hmm. the ones who can read the bible or assess a situation and, and not have any <coughs> blinders everyone else who has a differing opinion they must be coming at it from a cultural perspective or from a personal perspective an emotional perspective um and I think just a big part of that humility and in multi generational or, or multicultural or any kind of multi community is just understanding that we all we all have a perspective which is probably lacking something, um, we and yeah, a blind spot. And I think that that level of humi- humility, able to say, I am not actually the default. I am not actually. Objective, or at least any more objective than than you know other people. I think that's really really important.
0: Thank you, David. Yes, obedience? You have a microphone.
2: <laughs> I had the power. Um, I I didn't check with her before saying this. So Mo, if you're watching from home, I apologize that I'm about to call you out embarrassingly. Um, but when I think of obedience, I think a lot of Mo and her incredible obedience to pray for people. Um, When God prompts her to pray for you, you are getting prayed for. (laughs) Um, And it is um, whether you know it or not. (laughs) Um, You know, a couple of weeks ago when we were in Trumbull and something prompted her that someone in the, the congregation needed prayed for. And, you know, I don't know if that person ever went back to her and know physically stood next to her or not but um i can guarantee that person was still being prayed for whether she knew that person's name or not and um that kind of obedience transcends what we're talking about these these groups within our community that tend to happen she she doesn't pick who she's going to pray for she doesn't decide whether or not to pray for them if she's friends with them or not or someone who, who is her same age or you know, as Princess Chan wrote, even somebody she would choose to be friends with, you know. But this, this obedience to follow God's nudging to pray for somebody opens both her heart more to what Jesus is doing in that situation and the other person's um, and the rest of us as we observe her continued obedience to that.
0: Thanks. Thanks for that. Leanne's.
2: So Mo is online, and
7: um, before
4: you... (laughs) Hi,
7: Mo. (laughs) Before you... uh, She's sending you hearts. Before that, she said um, Bella's comment reminded her of Jeremiah's calling, um, being young and speaking up, and that the full armor of God is not just for battle but for serving others.
0: Thanks, Mo. Good thoughts. Um, I had given you guys some... I don't know. Boundary lines, guidelines, whatever thoughts to consider when it term- in terms of tracking and humility and tracking and obedience. Um, Joe, this is actually a prompt. It's not written as a question, but it's up there. So the, I gave you the ideas of to determine if you're tracking in humility, right? Are you willing to listen more than speak, right? Are you willing to make a relationship more important than being right? And I gave you the negative of that. Like what kind of damage are you willing to do to a relationship to prove your point? And then the last piece was what do you do with power? When you have the opportunity to secure the good of somebody who can do nothing for you in return, what do you do with it? Those are all kind of aimed at, at humility. And the obedience one, I just gave you one, is peace. Right? Totally acknowledging that there's lots of other things that can cause chaos in our life, but the one that we have the most control over is our level of obedience. So I just wanted to put that out there and see if that kind of struck a chord with anybody, if there are any follow-up thoughts on that. Jane? Jane, you got you got two minutes. Thank you. We, we have two minutes.
8: <laughs> uh, the, the one that I think of most, and now you made me lose my train of thought. I'm sorry. Um, is that we have to beware being focused on our performance whether it is in unity or obedience because God has called us to keep our eyes on Jesus Mm. himself and in his word as if we're examining ourselves in a mirror but seeing his face and his character and his way of thinking and in 2nd Corinthians 318 He informs us that as we do this, he changes us into the very same image. And further on, when he's speaking with the Corinthians, he speaks of the mind of Christ being formed in us. And our Savior is not schizophrenic.
0: So as uh, Ben's bringing the microphone up to Amanda, we're going to be wrapping stuff up. So if you have any thoughts, we'll take maybe one one or two more.
6: Um, with the peace. So obedience and our society peace doesn't really always have in our society a constant or consistent definition. And unfortunately there is this false sort of understanding that peace means no conflict or that peace means it's going to be easy Mm. and so sometimes you're called to something that just rips you apart you're called to something that destroys you and from those ashes like a phoenix almost you're built up and you rise up and God is able to to build you back better that doesn't mean it is easy or that there is there is nothing that you have to face.
3: Yeah. We'll finish up with that. And I think this humility thing can be hard because even from the list you have up there, sometimes those things could be in conflict with one another. Um, so, like the power to secure the goods for those who have done, sometimes you need to be out there um, and. You know and, and you talk about sometimes listening sometimes i think we talk about humility being like quiet and giving you know just being really meek in some cases but obviously the examples moses and and jesus obviously they were very definitive in in, in knowing it and i think the key of all of it of course is always just it's you have to be close to god <laughs> and if you're not close to god then you need to shut up <laughs>
0: <laughs> amen <laughs> all right i'm gonna ask ben and Catherine to, to come back up here and finish this up with with one more song